At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What do you think of my tie-dye? I think it looks pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Fancy, solid. Fancy schmancy. Rocking the tie, man. Cool. Docking the rye. Rocking the tie. There are two types of people in this world. People who wear ties and people who wear tie. Die. Yeah. <laughs> Fact. Yeah. Don't they feel like distinctions? They do. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, yeah, I... Because, because the tie died. Because the, t- the tie died. The tie when, died. When the tie dies, you become someone who wears tie-dye. Exactly. Because now you're free. Your soul has been recovered because you've been in the astral plane and you've jumped through the hole in the sand and you've realized the real true meaning to life is ornamentally colored t-shirts. <laughs> What's poppin' everybody? Hello and welcome to Popcorn Culture. My name is Ben Carlin and I am your host. Here with me today is my brother Jay, who will be in every episode. Yeah, that's me. I'm still here. Still not the co-host, or the the true host, or whatever. Whatever whatever, whatever. whatever it is. Who even cares? Who even cares? Not me. Not me. No. Fine, Ben. Uh, you look so good in your uh, your tie dye shirt over there. I'm pretty excited about my tie dye shirt. To be honest with you, this is like the new uh, Super Carlin Brothers Shirt Club shirt, and yeah. I was like, I was like, I think I we maybe even talked about it on the pop. I can't. I can't. I even think you're it. right that we, we were like joking that we got like really into tie dye, and yeah, now yeah. you're wearing a tie dye. I know. Shirt. I know. I know. I was. Well, this is. It's so funny because I think that I have fallen squarely into the like classic. The like pandemic started. I went and did that like pandemic related thing where there ended up being like a huge pandemic related like shortage or it was just otherwise like a memeified activity yeah and uh so things like you know cutting your own hair or getting really into some type of like indoor uh, plants and indoor plants yeah exactly Mm -hmm. exactly um and which i did get into home gym home gym got a home gym yeah check that out uh we were super into mountain biking well we i mean i wouldn't even say that we're not into mountain biking but because that was like one of those very like socially distant activities uh at like during covid like you could still go mountain biking and still be like very far apart from other people and you're fully outside and everything uh bikes were like massively yeah you know short very good covid activity yes 
Uh, but another one of those activities was, you know, you're like sitting there scrolling all the social medias and seeing what people are doing. And uh, tie-dye was one of them. So like two years ago, Alice and I bought like a tie-dye kit and we just never did it. Wow. So it was sitting mm-hmm. in the house forever and ever and ever. And I think several weeks ago on the pop, I was like, man, what if we did like a shirt club where we did where me and Jay had to tie-dye everybody's t-shirts? You know what this is? Huh. It's the unscratched itch phenomenon. How do you mean? Okay, explain I, that to me. This, I feel like, is something I think not to, you know, bring everything back to Pokemon cards, but what isn't sure. about it? Well, I mean, you know, when it, when you try hard enough, this is just like Name of the Wind or Diablo 2. You can it's bring like it all back. Everything sort is it, of... This is a, Diablo 2 would fit exactly into this category, though. Okay, okay. Is that, this is the... Okay, this is what I'm going to call the unscratched itch phenomenon. And it is something you... <clears throat> that when you first experience it, you absolutely love it. And yet... Because of circumstance or um, like parental control or access to the resource or whatever, you simply cannot experience it to the fullest the way you want to in the moment. And as such, yes. eventually you are for- it is forced to like fade out of like eventually it, like your life, your season of life will move past it. And yet the itch for the thing will remain and the longer it goes unscratched the more furious it shall eventually like come back to not necessarily bite you but the more like you the more passion you will return to it with at some point this is really good <clears throat> this is really good yeah. I, I actually i i totally buy into this phenomenon yeah. i 100 think you're right so for for you i go back to us as kids getting into Pokemon cards, which I largely associate. We, we've talked before about how you and I both had like the, like a genetic condition where our chest was like sort of like concave mm-hmm. and we had to have like a bar surgery that like sort of was like kind of like braces for your chest that like yeah. pushed it out. Pushed it out. Um, I've got the bar here at the office. Yeah. Yeah. It's here. Just yeah. in case somebody ever wants to like go and look at it's it. It's in a biohazard bag. It is. And I feel like it sat on like our center island for a really long time because nobody really wanted to move it, even though it's absolutely like sterile. Yeah, like that. Absolutely. They just like take it out of my chest and just like, here you go. Right. Here's like it's here's, probably here's a, more sterile than most things. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> just a, just a nice solid little piece of metal bar there. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, but anyway, yeah. So I associate us getting into Pokemon cards with you being in the hospital for this surgery. I can't remember hmm. if like one of your friends possibly bought you like a starter deck as like a get well soon gift or something hmm. um do you have any recollection of that being the case at all no i do not okay not well, in particular so th- it's possible it is this, this is what <clears throat> i remember about us getting into pokemon cards and the thing was is that like as a kid especially like i mean this is just true about me to the day i literally have like treasure sitting next to me where i sit right now in the form of small little silver ingots you know yeah. You, for your listening pleasure. Oh, so nice. I know. It's good quality noise. But anyway, the um the idea of like rarity and the holographics and all the like the collectability of the Pokemon cards stood yeah. out to me in such a huge way. And now as adults, we we've gone through like all these different ways of like kind of getting super into it. We've probably bought I don't even, I mean, like thousands of cards over the past several years. For sure. Like a lot. Uh, But as kids, it was definitely one of those where like you would go to the store. They were super collected at the time. So half the time, just simply finding them at the store 
was an uphill battle. Right. But then from there, you know, it was like $5 per pack and like mom and dad and, you know, they had the three of us. And so they're, they're like under most circumstances, I wouldn't even say that they were okay with buying us any, let alone more than one pack per kid. Right. And so, you know, like the ability to, to pull like substantial rares of, of any kind or whatever. I mean, it was just so, it was so, limited and and to no fault of our parents of course yeah I mean, that no. like this is not like a complaint about our childhood but i i completely get where you're coming from it's like i remember this one day there was a, there was a store called books a million here in roanoke yeah and i don't know if you remember this but their display case for their pokemon cards was like up at a counter and it was like a display case that like rotated like inside of a glass window and it was just like lined with fresh pokemon booster packs the sealed packs and it was just like <clears throat> wow like, what if I could buy like 10 of those, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, that would be like the best day ever. Um, which of course I never could. Um, but the, yeah. So, so basically as a kid, we were limited in how many of those we could buy. Yeah, for sure. Now as an adult, <clears throat> it's like almost come back with interest. And this is exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. Like the seed for, uh, collecting them and and then even um probably more for like me than a lot of kids was like to also like play the game sure with them was planted so long ago and it was just like there was some attention being paid to it but you're right like at best you could expect to get like a single pack maybe once a week right you know right and yeah so that was that was where it was and now now we've really come and then like it made it almost made it not not necessarily like worse or anything but like when i got to like um like uh high school age or something i played a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh. okay yep but i had the exact same problem right like in terms of at least getting the cards <laughs> like i still had i had like you know five dollars to go play in a tournament or something on the weekend but that's gonna buy you otherwise like one pack which just doesn't make like a tremendous difference and so like so much of the way i had to collect things was simply by trading with other people or else placing well at the tournaments and just claiming the prizes which were packs right but like <clears throat> even then i remember like it, it may have been the case that you like won a tournament and you got like six packs and I, I like as like an observer of this i was like that's so many packs i think you got 10 you got 10 okay okay won. okay yeah. ten. but i mean like you know that's a, i mean no that was a lot yeah that yeah. it feels like so many it feels like it feels like an ungodly amount unattainable amount exactly that's um, what it felt like <laughs> and yet and yet uh, either way. So I think we got here originally because of tie dye because so, of tie. Yes. Because of the unscratched itch phenomenon. Yes. So it was like, I was like, okay, you know, it's like we're, we're stuck inside. Like I need like little random one day activities or hobbies to get into. So we ordered, you know, the little bottles of, of dye and it comes with like, you know, plastic gloves and rubber bands and stuff like that. And it just sort of like sat next to my work from home desk. And it was just like, you know, Alice would get home, and it'd be like, hey, look, should we do this? And it's like, oh, I don't know. Like, we have to, like, get it all set up. It might be messy. It was There were always, like, reasons just to not do it. Right. And so it just sat there and sat there and sat there. And I do think it was that conversation I had on the pop where I was like, oh, we should do, like, tie-dye t-shirts or something. And I'm like, we will tie-dye all of the t-shirts. <coughs> um, and I, literally for me, it was almost like, because this is, like, getting a whole bunch of packs of Pokemon cards. Yeah. You know, it's like, because like if we do it like this, it's like, Oh, it'd be like a punishment for us. Cause we have to tie dye all mm -hmm. of them. 
gosh darn gosh, it all darn. see this is exactly it like if alice had come home and you guys had made tie-dye shirts right when you got the pack right when you got the initial starter kit i wouldn't be sitting here you right wouldn't now. be sitting here right now you'd have been like you would have done it you'd have had a fun night your entire tie-dye cup would have been full and that would have lasted you forever, forever. probably yeah probably or probably. it's now it's possible you would have just gotten further into the into the hobby and by now you'd have like 20 tie-dye shirts and we'd all call you tie-dye ben and you know who knows what would have happened? It but does seem all of these things seem plausible. They seem plausible, but I, my main suspicion is that had you just done it, it would have been like a fun thing you did during COVID that one time. Yeah, that was fun. Look, we have these cool shirts. We'll always remember that. But now, instead, you bought it and you bought you started building up this like kinetic energy, this potential energy. It's so true. And the, instead, that ball has just been sitting at the top of that hill, waiting to get pushed down, waiting and waiting. The longer it's been waiting, they're just making the hill longer and longer and longer. It's <laughs> true. It's true. And now you're here and you're like, we're not just doing one tie-dye. We're doing so many tie-dye. So, so many tie-dye. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. So, it, that, that, But I mean, this is actually, I feel like it's like everything I wrote down in the show notes for today, I feel like everything comes back to this exact phenomenon that you just described. Because mm-hmm. the other thing that we have going on in the office right now is that I think we mentioned several episodes ago that we bought a, uh, a 3D printer here for the office. Yeah. Which let me just say is like is again it's a much more approachable hobby than I would have expected for something that can like literally spin a creation right before your eyes. <laughs> However, in the big the big thing about getting a 3D printer is that it's kind of like you get it and then it's like what can I even make that is like worthwhile? Like what's useful? Right. Or like it's so cool that you can make anything but what do you really need to make? <laughs> and almost nothing is the problem. So like um, my uh, my brother-in-law, Mike, is in the process of like opening like his meal prep kitchen for Roanoke. And part of that is that he bought like um, like a commercial grade um, like oven range thing, like one you would see like at a restaurant, like a yeah. real one. And I have no idea why or how if this is a thing, but it didn't have any like knobs, mm. you know, like the knobs that you would do just to turn on like each of the respective eyes. Okay. And so he was like, yeah, I was thinking about it. Like, would you guys be able to like 3D print me some knobs? It's exactly a perfect function for a 3D I, printer. It is. It yeah. is. And I was like, oh. <gasps> this is the greatest thing ever. Like I, like I, like I don't even know if we will end up doing it, but it was like, this is why you own a 3d print. Like this is it right here. Could you imagine right. if we got to like, especially if we can make them like super bright colors or right. This is, this is of course the exact application and the perfect example of why you would like when owning a 3d printer would be like really beneficial. Exactly. However, my suspicion is that even though the cost of a 3D printer is surprisingly low for what it can do, yeah. it is still probably more expensive than just going on to like KitchenAid.com and looking Purchasing for replacement knobs. knobs. Right. It's so true. It's so true. And so, and then too, you have to like be savvy enough to like figure out how to program it. And, right. And, yeah. Like, are you going to, are you going to have to design these knobs? Which I mean, for some people that's going to be the whole hobby anyway. This sure. is like, the fun is designing it. Maybe someone out there has already uploaded the exact model you need to replace your, you know, KitchenAid stove knobs. Or right, exactly. In which yeah. case, download for a free print done. 
Yeah, basically, yeah. Ju- basically, just put it on the memory card, insert it into the machine, click print, and it starts. Uh, and then multiply times like eight. I think is how many knobs <coughs> you need. So, oh, man. Um, more than you would think, though. That's a, that's a that's a bundle. But anyway, so uh, since we've had it, we we've definitely been going through like a myriad of like fun little experiments here in the office. There's there are like uh, these little octopuses that you can mm, print mm, that yes. like you basically. You sit there, it goes through the whole process, and then you like take it off the printer deck, and it is like, it is like made, it is printed joints into the octopus itself. So like all of its tentacles are like free flowing, right. jointy. And it's like, like if you can imagine like how a chain is hooked together. Like at some, there's always that little spot where they had to like be conjoined where it was open and yes. then it has been fused together. But the 3D printer doesn't have that problem. It can just print the links directly around themselves. Exactly. Which is fascinating. It is. It is. And <laughs> but it's so, like yeah. using like very, very small amounts of supports that then just like snap right off. So yeah. it's like, yeah, you, you print this, this, and we printed a couple of like really big ones. Now. Well, I mean, we printed octopus, of course, that was a great day, but then, then we printed 200% octopus. Yes. Right. And I, then I don't, I mean, we thought let's get wild. 400% octopus. <gasps> Can you even imagine because we can, because we did it. Because we did it. Because we did it. Uh, so we have this like random, huge plastic octopus that yeah. serves literally no function whatsoever to the entire office. But it's it's almost like the office pet is like the 3D <laughs> printer. It's like, you know, it's like he, we, we, we feed him each day a new piece of data. And then he just, he just entertains himself just till tomorrow morning when we come back and we can be so proud of him. the 3d like, printer is the office pet, not the octopus. Is oh yes. I'm mean? sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The 3d printer okay. is. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not the octopus. Um, although I guess the octopus could be as well, depending on how we thought about it. We I also, mean, the octopus is presently, if you look very closely in the Riles jr. Uh, Instagram posts every single day, the octopus is sitting in the Riles Jr. pot. <laughs> which is our office plant. Which is our office plant. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> because we have one of those too. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of those. <laughs> we do. Um anyway, all of this to say though is that like I feel like we it, it's been this quest to figure out like, okay, how are we going to actually put owning a 3D printer to like proper use? Yeah. Right. And so <laughs> one of the things that I stumbled across was a full blown, like wearable Lightyear suit following the movie Lightyear, uh, you know, Pixar's latest. Yep. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, this is really cool. So I actually I had to pay for this design, which I, I just did on Etsy, which was really cool that I was like, man, somebody went through and like did this. And now I can like support them. <clears throat> and I'm so stoked about it. Uh, so we've been going through and printing like I, I would say at this point in time, we have committed somewhere in the proximity of like. 130 hours something of, like that. of like print time. Yeah. And we have like two thirds of my left arm done. Right. It's, it's wild. Yeah. You know, it's um, like a real project you have to embark upon. Like, but it is also, it is, it is so satisfying in some ways because like the prints, like uh, printing a single object, depending on what it is, like some things you might have done in like three hours. Some things might be closer to like 72 hours. Exactly. You know? But so what's fun about that is that like you can be sitting in the office on like Friday afternoon and press print. And then it's just like, you're not in the office. No one's here for like, you know, the entire weekend and you come in Monday morning and that thing has not stopped printing. And now you have like whoop an entire like arm sleeve 
just about ready to come off the printer. It's amazing. And and it's amazing too, because like I will, I am so like actively interested and invested in it, but not so much so that like, you know, on Saturday night while I was like lying in bed trying to fall asleep, was I like, I wonder how the print's doing. I wonder if it's still going. Like, I don't even think about it. You know, it's like I leave the office. Then when I come in on Monday morning, it's like, oh my gosh. I know, like, I'd forgotten. So much of it. And it's still going. Dude, this is, this, this exact thing though, is something that always like blows my mind sometimes about machines. And this is going to sound so dumb, but like it, like it gives me like a lot of pleasure that they could just do stuff while you're not there. But also so, like, I don't, I don't know how to like say this the right way though. Like sometimes like if I were to go start like the washing machine or something before I went to bed, like I can turn on the washing machine and then this is, I think this is what's really fun for me. I can turn off the lights and close the door and it's just still going. And it, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I like, and to like put that on like a greater scale, like I think about, there must be warehouses somewhere where they've got like some form of robotics, just sort of like moving parcels around the warehouse for like shipping or something like that. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. So to me, what's crazy about that is that you could not have the lights on in the warehouse and it would make no difference to the machines. Like, they're just programmed to go on the path and whether or not you had like if you have the lights on you can see what they're doing but they don't need the lights and it's like it did not even it did not even (coughs) occur to me until you just said this though that like this is so true that like if you were to have come into our office at three o'clock in the morning on saturday what you would have found is just in the same way as it is right now as we're talking you would have our 3d printer just like tirelessly working through the night right like imagine imagine if you will just like i don't know like a like a beer bottling plant or something right like it's just going in there like you i don't know if you need workers on the assembly line like doing specific tasks maybe you do but assuming that you don't whatever sort of automated thing you just have a big room where your machine does its thing you could just you could just turn it on and like I, it's crazy to i don't know why not needing the lights on is like very cool to me it's just like the machine's just running like it regardless cuz it doesn't care it doesn't need you you know no it's true it's, it's true it's like like you could have like if you had a world where cars are like automated or whatever, like right now, if you go driving down the highway at like four in the morning, like there's nobody there. Right. But if the entire world is populated by self-driving cars or something like I bet there's cars everywhere all the time. You know, I guess maybe people don't need to be places in the morning, but you could, but, but you'd be so much easier to travel that way. Cause then you don't necessarily need to be awake in the car. It would maybe yeah, that is the biggest thing, yeah, that I think would change so much about, um, like automated vehicles, yeah. like this, like robotic cars. Is that like uh, one of my f- all-time favorite places to go is Addison, Vermont, which right. is where like my daughter Addison gets her name. Yeah, um, and I would say that the only thing about it at all that I don't like is the fact that it is twelve hours away. Yeah, so it's like. you know, no matter what you have to commit 12 waking hours to getting there. Right. You know, but like if it were the case that it was like a, you know, a Friday evening and it was like, okay, it's like seven o'clock, you know, I can't wait to go fishing in the morning in Vermont. It's like, because I'm about to go hop into my automated car, which will drive me 
through the night. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'll go hop in it. You know, I'll watch movies for a couple of hours or whatever, and then fall asleep and then wake up at 7 a.m. And, you know, the car's pulling up to the cabin and it's just like, hey, perfect. This is great. Now, you know, I'll, I'll go and I'll spend the weekend up here, whatever, you know, Sunday at 7 p.m. I'll hop back in the car and right like nighttime travel becomes so much more luxurious if you could just sleep in the car it's okay and here's the other thing too is that it's like if you had this if like i wonder what it would do to the idea of like first class flights because this is this is like one of those like world like worldly dreams of mine almost quite literally is to be on like a long haul flight like a flight that legit takes you know 10 plus hours yeah. where you can actually like have one of the, the little cockpit, you know, pod things where there's like a bed that folds down and you can like fall asleep and travel through the night just while you're literally having yourself a solid night of sleep. Yeah. Um, is it's, it's so unattainably expensive yeah. to fly this way. Right. It's like, you know, a standard flight, uh, like one of the ones that Alice and I have been looking at because, we had booked a trip before the pandemic that we never got to go on that has, that has been booked all this while is to South Africa. Mm-hmm. So flights to South Africa might be in the range of like nearly, let's call it maybe like almost a thousand dollars, but not quite um, from the United States. Meanwhile, if you wanted to fly first class, it is like $12,000 per ticket. That's in, Yeah. It's right. I mean, it's like, you know, yeah. it's like, that's, that's like a car yeah. or something. Like you could, there's so much that you like, it's such a like unattainable level of expensive. Right. That it's like, I could never do that, you know? But then what happens if all of a sudden, like, like self-driving cars, this is just like, they don't need to be even oriented the way that we're so used to cars being oriented. They could just be like little apartments. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, would you, everyone just sort of have like a little, very mini tour bus kind of situation. Right. Like with, with like bunk beds. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I don't know. I, I like to think so. I feel like it would be so much fun. I don't know if there's like added risk of being like, is it, is it any more or less? And I'm asking this more like as an actual, just like up in the air question. Cause I don't really know. Like, is it any more like you're not, seat belted in i assume in a first class flight if you're sleeping on one of these pods like do you need to be yeah i don't i don't know seat belted it's uh, certainly there would need to be lots of safety and it feels like the kind of automated car travel that we are discussing is probably like several layers into right yeah right like like it feels like at first it's just like cars as we know them right now but also they can drive themselves. Okay. But so my question would ultimately become though, do you, do you think that self-driving cars for one, do you own the self-driving car? Oh, right. I don't know. Or, or is it just the case that like, they're just constant, you know, in the same way that, uh, if I needed to grab an Uber from, from where we sit right now, to run to the airport, I could pull up an Uber and there are people who are currently drivers for the service. And, they are either somewhat nearby or finishing a different trip and they can see my mind pop up and they can be like, yes, I will take you. And like, then that person redirects and comes to me. It's like, would it just be the case that there's like a place where cars go to just like wait for being called? But then also like who maintains or like cleans that car because it feels like that would be like another, like another potential issue. Yeah. Is that like, you know, it it could be the case that you still want, your own 
because it could be like configured the way you want. You could have like your bedding, if you will. Sure. I uh, think you'd, I think probably there's, it's probably both sort of exist. Right. But, but. so th- my, my question was going to be though, is that like, I almost wonder if this scenario, like, like the, the ultimate dream pod type of overnight automatic, you know, self-driving car, whatever, would it just become as expensive as a first class flight? Oh, you know what I mean? Right. Like, like it, like would it just end up kind of being configured, marketed that way that it's like, yeah, pretty much the only way you get to do like the, the overnight sleep thing. It's like, it's going to cost you like, you know, $2,000. No, I think it's going to be, I think it'd be more affordable than that. Sure. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's what I would, that's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking right now. I I mean, it's like, I don't know. This is like, yeah, what I, I have to imagine that at some point, most of these cars are like electric too, not like gas powered. It feels that way. Because then yeah. you could also have like recharging stations that they can conceivably just pull up to themselves. Oh, absolutely. And just do that. And yep. then I don't even, and then it's not even that big a deal if the cars are just, they don't even need to go like to a park zone to like, wait, they can just always be roaming, you know? That's also true. Just like, yeah, we're just you know, always, always sort of like near somebody. Because like the weird thing about self-driving cars is that like certain traffic laws don't matter as much. Like, well, like one, you can probably increase the speed limit more because yeah. yeah, there's no like, there's like less crashes. You probably also maybe don't even need things like stop signs or traffic lights right cuz they can all talk to each other in a way that they can all always be moving all the time <laughs> that you know <laughs> that is also true yeah it's like how many how many things can you eliminate uh the other one that i i was talking to Alice about the other day we were driving back from uh dc and we were in the car and we we like got stuck in like you know like just like a highway traffic jam type thing cuz there was an accident and it reminded me when we were kids on field day in elementary school, there was this like one particular activity that I think always came last, but your whole like classroom would get like lined up on like a big row and you all had like the little milk cartons from like lunch. Yeah. And you, you were all holding like it, it had been like emptied and cleaned out in, like the box and then like opened up on top. So it was like a cup. Yeah. And there'd be like one, one kid at the end who would like scoop into a five gallon bucket. They would then pour the water into the cup down and yeah. then down and down and down and down. And I always remembered like when you're, when you're sitting there, you know, three quarters of the way down to the other side, it's like, you know, there's like the big momentous like, and go. And then you sit there and like, wait and wait and wait for like the water to get to you. And then finally, like the person next to you pours water into your cup and you can turn and pour it into the next person. And it's like, okay, one, and then it's kind of like it hasn't quite gotten a full set head, head of speed yet. So maybe it's like another 30 seconds before the next one and then two. And then by the end of it, you know, you're literally like turning as fast as you can back and forth. Right. Like, like water, 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 water. Um, I always feel like this is exactly what happens in traffic jams where it's almost like every single car is stopped. And then the first car starts slowly moving forward, at which point in time there's a small amount of delay before the second car starts slowly moving forward and getting back up to speed. Yeah, you like inchworm forward. You inchworm forward. Yeah, like everybody <laughs> is sort of like reacting. But then like imagine, if you will, if there's a line of, you know, 700 cars and then all of a sudden it's sort of like, all right, now the obstacle is gone. And it's like three, two, one, and they all move 
at exactly the same time. Right. Think about how much time savings <clears throat> happen. Yeah, it's a lot. By the by by the vehicle being able to move much more like a train than Right. Yeah. But much more like a train, but much more efficiently than a train. Yeah, with way more like maneuverability in places it can reach. Exactly. It's also the on, on the other side, it's probably like way less accidents, I guess, in like a in a real perfect world than human drivers okay i've thought about this a lot too and this is like a really odd one because same thing there's like that thought of you know how great would it be just to be able to to again you know basically go hop in my my tour van slash yeah you know pod car Mm -hmm. thing now this is pod racing (sighs) had to say it um like it, it's the type of thing where it seems like accidents would go down so drastically to the point where like the, really the only scenario where this activity would even be like permitted would be the sheer guarantee that it is way safer yeah. than traditionally driving cars. Right. Which is kind of like one of those statistics where isn't it like air travel is safer than fl- than driving? I don't know if that's true. It, it seems like less because you're like, you know, 10,000 feet up in the air. Yeah. Really hard to run into stuff up there. It is really hard to run into <laughs> stuff up there. Um, but it makes it so that it's like, is it a world where zero? It's, I mean, zero's unavoidable or not is, is probably unattainable. I mean, even if it's just things like weather, you know, like ice yeah, is still I, a problem. Although... I, that's the sort of thing where like the car might just be like <laughs> ice. I don't think we're moving. Sure. Which would be like massively inconvenient in ways or something. Right. Like yeah. those, those are the things that get like a little bit harder to predict how they would go. Um, but the, the safety is one of those things that it's like, th- there's like the part of me that's like, Oh, like I would love to embrace this. This would be so great. But then there's the other part of me. It's like, would I be skeptical? Like, uh, we, we will be skeptical undeniably because we have grown up in a world where it has never been and we have driven cars and we dreamed about driving cars and you know we've talked about this show before about like how it's like a part of your identity and stuff but it's like so it is i think there's no doubt we will be skeptical right of it it will take serious gears to like move you into like this comfort zone um but like Certainly, there will be a generation of people eventually who are just like, yeah, just hop in the car, whatever, and now I'm moving. Our grandkids would be like, like, yeah, our grandparents are, are what would be like the, the yeah. term for they, it? They still manually drive cars. That's yeah. the other question, too. Would that even still be allowed? Oh, that that is a question. Because like when this is one of those things when I think about self-driving cars is like, I feel like, do you still have to take a driver's test? Like... It feels like no. No? Like, because I think that's that's one of those where I think that the, the self-driving cars, if they're all working on the same system, then they're all communicating with one another, which makes it safer because they're all playing by the exact same set of rules, coding, programming, yeah. everything. Okay, but so like going back to like maybe say your example of going to vermont or something yeah like to me i it it would not surprise me at all if you could get in if you can get in your self-driving car and it can take you literally 99.99 percent of the way there but then there's that like gravel road at the end and it's like is that gravel road like 
I don't know. Are, are there roads that just simply aren't mapped out by like the GPS or something where it's just like, well, the car doesn't recognize this as a road. So at this point, you have to take over. This is a good question because, okay, so let me back up a little bit and just try to play off one example of self-driving cars that I'm aware of. So you and I, when we were invited down to Disney in, I believe it was September of last year, what we were down there to do is to to be like amongst the, the first people to ride and review the new Ratatouille attraction yeah. at Epcot. And one of the really cool things when you go and like watch the carts uh, move about on the Ratatouille ride is that they are self-driving carts. And the way that they do that is through sensors that are then poured into the floor. Mm-hmm. So like the cart is actually following basically something that is then like embedded into the concrete below. It's like, there is a track down there. It just doesn't have to drive on the track the way like traditional, like roller coasters have needed to. Um, but it makes for this like very like, verging on like uncanny valley experience when you like watch it pull up and then like parallel park itself like almost too quickly and too effectively it's Uh, like (laughs) it's like that was odd like like i mean i appreciate the technology but like it was it was it was it was weird to watch it happen like something felt like off or like wrong about it um that it was capable of of doing such a thing so with that being said, the question in mind there would be like, it also probably depends on how and why do the self-driving cars work? Like, can they respond to active road conditions or are they effectively following um, highly customizable tracks? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because it feels like when you, because like, the, again, what Jay's point is, is that, um, after the 12 hour drive, which is, you know, probably 11 hours and 50 minutes of highway driving, the last 10 minutes is gravel road. And it's like, it, it, it occurs to me that it's highly unlikely that, you know, the Vermont department of motor vehicles, um, like, no, what is it? Department of transportation VDOT. Yeah. It's, it's VDOT in Virginia too. I don't worry. Yeah. I wonder if uh-huh. it's called VDOT. It's always weird when you go to a different state and you see it's called like, like Pennsylvania dot pen dot yeah or something what a, what not thing v dot just full, like rolls off the tongue just anyway right. it seems unlikely that they would have gone through the Vermont Department of Transportation and built these these customizable tracks into the gravel road that leads to our small cabin do you to, know what I mean I do know what you mean to that end it feels unlikely that we would have said sort of tracks built underneath every road in America. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, and that's, that is the upheaval that we're talking about here though. Yeah. Like, is that, you know, the, the, it, it's probably not that we don't have technology that could be good enough. And, and maybe like even the Ratatouille ride is case in point. It's like, we can do it. Right. The problem is the existing infrastructure. Right. The problem is that we already built it a different way. Right. Um, and now, in order to to undo that, it's not like we get to go and just build something new. It's like you have to undo what you previously built, which inconveniences everybody. I don't think it would work that way, though. I think it'd be mostly just working on like GPS and it could respond actively to stuff around it. And I mean, that's yeah. yeah. So, yeah, if that's the case, it seems then like the, your dirt roads just work better. OK, yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, hopefully, probably. Yep. Although, <laughs> otherwise, it'd be like a huge bummer if like even if like you had like a long 
gravel driveway at your house. It's like, sorry, I can't drive through the gravel driveway because I don't know those. Like, I don't, I don't speak gravel driveway. So everybody just has to get like dropped off. It's way more convenient until you have a gravel driveway. That's like three miles long. Okay. Okay. So, okay. Like imagine though, like where we went for your bachelor party, which was just this sort of cabin way up in the woods. Yeah. In like West Virginia. Like to me, it does not seem like that road really exists on a map. No, you know, it's just like for the most part, it is like a service road built through the woods for the purpose of getting to this cabin. There is a metal gate in front of it. It is like an unsafe road either way. So you're basically asking because you're back in camp, the probability you might need to physically be able to drive the car. Right. Right. And so it's like, I feel like the steering wheel is probably like, you don't even see it most of the time. uh It exists in the same way that like your spare tire exists in your car right now. Chances are you don't need it that often. Right. But like there's a, if you need to, you can push this button and the steering wheel can be uh, made available. You know what it makes me think of? Okay. So on the, on the new Nintendo switch, you have the joy cons. Yeah. But like every every application of the Joy Cons that I've ever had, because in, in case you're unfamiliar, your your controller is literally two different like wireless pieces, two different wireless remotes. Yeah. And so what we typically do is we bought like a plastic like controller shaped thing that you slide both of those into. And then for all intents and purposes, it's no different from like a PlayStation controller or an Xbox controller or, or anything yeah. else. It's, it, it feels like one piece, but you can also take one of those joy cons out and program it and play on like just half of the controller. And then you end up with this like itty bitty little like yeah. handheld controller. Right. I almost wonder if the steering wheel would be like that. Right. It's like, it's kind of like this tiny little, like, yeah, you can you can like maneuver it and turn it, you know, in a pinch, but like it's not nearly as like robust as what we know today as like a steering wheel and like, you know, like driver's would, seat wouldn't and Wouldn't that, that seem like a little backwards though that the technology advances so far that the steering wheel goes backwards? It does. It seems yeah. odd, but it's like it's so it would be so much less of a priority to the overall functionality of the vehicle. Right. Which as far as I'd be concerned like almost becomes so much more like a small like a like a tiny home almost you know like it wouldn't even be strange to me if like there was a greater likelihood of having like a bathroom in this thing i can see it you know instead of right Mm -hmm. because then you wouldn't really like need to do rest stops or anything in the same capacity it's it's just so much more like you're on a train or a plane Right. You know, it's like, it's a longer trip. You're expecting to stay inside of it. Chances are it's solar and electric powered at the same time. (laughs) So it's like, you know, hopefully it can just make the whole haul without needing to stop. And you're probably traveling. Yeah. Like you were saying before at, 150 miles an hour. Yeah, you go way faster. Right. (laughs) Cause no one's going to run into each other. Cause everyone's three car lengths apart. Exactly. Or whatever the appropriate, you know, 
popcorn culture is supported by Arena Club. Okay, so you guys know that I love trading card games and that me and Ben are big time collectors of Pokemon cards. You know, it's that childhood fantasy of finally being able to use adult money to buy those highly coveted rares of our youth. And like, even in our office, we have not one, but two full display cases with some of our all time favorite rarest cards that we've pulled. But something I did not know existed when I was a kid in my youth was the grading process for trading cards or sports cards or whatever you're collecting. You know, to me, it was just like a rare Charizard is a rare Charizard. Like it doesn't, doesn't matter if it's been hanging out in my pocket with my lucky paper clip. Turns out it does matter and kind of a lot because if you get your cards professionally graded, it can add huge value. And then not only that, but once they're graded, they will like seal them in that pristine condition inside of a plastic case or what's known in the industry as a slab. And that's where Arena Club steps in because it's like buying a booster pack, but it's for a pre-graded card. Now, I know that can take like maybe a second to wrap your head around because you're opening physical cards on a digital platform, which means you open the pack online and see your polls where they can be added to your showroom for the world to see. But you can also request them to be sent to you at any time. So they have got a ton of pre graded cards and then you will get to randomly open one and then they'll keep it for you or they can send it to you or you can just like sell it or trade it online or whatever you want to do. But whether you're buying, selling, trading or displaying Arena Club is the card collecting platform you have got to check out. And right now you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash pop pop, which wow, that is a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's like $40 right there. Anyway, that's arenaclub.com slash pop pop for 10% off your first purchase. Popcorn Culture is sponsored by Shopify. Y'all are likely aware of the fact that we have our very own Shopify store, Carlin Brothers Mercantile, and it's hard to imagine not having it now, but arriving at the decision to open our own web store was a big one. In fact, we started our journey on the interweb back in 2012 and didn't finally open up shop until 2018. And a huge part of that is just not knowing where to start, but that's where Shopify steps in. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, which is a fancy way of saying it's a really easy and effective way to start an online business, no matter if you're operating out of your garage or have like a whole building or three or something. Once we were set up, our biggest concern was trying a new product only to discover no one was interested in it. But Shopify is powered with so many reports, more than you can even imagine. And this is so handy because it allows us to use data to better provide what folks are actually interested in. It's so easy to use, but even if you do find yourself caught in a jam, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash pop pop. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash pop pop now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash pop pop. Man, yeah. it's it, but so all this though also brings to mind a very huge question about like how far even along as like um civilization are we even at? Like you can go through history and see the way that like empires like rise and fall and how population centers like 
almost always exist near like um uh like a body of water that can yeah. be used for like processing trade. You know, it's like right. It's like everything is built alongside of a river or on a coast or or something like that. Like there are reasons why all of our population centers are where they are. And then as like industry has developed, you can take something like New York City, for example, and be like, okay, well, like now in order to conduct business, you have to be in the place where business happens and business happens here. Right. Like physically, geographically here. Right. Like I can see you in person to do the business because everyone's here. Right. And because yeah. we're here, more people came here. And because more people came here, we can do business with them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and then more people came. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, by way of, of things like the internet, and then I would say possibly, possibly more influential than even the internet was, um, what was again, the pandemic where all of a sudden everybody was forced to work from home and you have this big development where it's kind of like, do we still need cities like like is that need still there but then i think you could even take it one step further with this like it's it's like self-driving car question and be like what does that do to the like like geophysical landscape of where we exist as humans Mm -hmm. because there's like even maybe even less need to be near to be near stuff to be near stuff like mm-hmm. as it is right now most of the people who work out of new york city the fact that they are in proximity to to like a potential like you know air quotes trade route or something like that um th- probably isn't that relevant to why they're there anymore mm-hmm. it, it was once relevant that like potential ports existed and, and that type of right. thing but i don't know how important it is now as to why they're there right i don't know either maybe it's still really important (laughs) maybe it maybe it is but um the reason i bring it up is because we were talking last week here in the office about how we think in some capacity there was like a study made once upon a time that um the entire population of the united states could be like evenly spaced out like just in the state of texas and we would have like enough room right and so my, my curiosity would almost be like, if you could take all of, all of the population, you know, of the United States and just like, yeah. And, and sort of do like an even spread because now there, there doesn't have to be as many reasons to be geographically where you are anymore. And we're like super spread out. How much does that even change? Like what's important or relevant about where you live? Cause I feel like all of these things, are like three paradigm shifts of like social existence later right. that like nothing is the same anymore. Yeah. And that's fun. <laughs> that is crazy. That feels like, it feels like, like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It feels like just being able to move a little bit faster doesn't necessarily stop the need for cities or something. I, I see everybody. I feel like everybody always tells me this and I'm like, I think it does. I think like, if you could like teleport then, like but, but, if it was like instantaneous, then you basically exist everywhere all at once. But what is the what what is the the maintained advantage to like the existing advantage in my mind is is the fact that like if you're all in one place, then it, it's almost like the way that like government works in a way. It's like like why do we why do we elect officials to speak on our behalf? It's like because they can all go then and stand in the same room and have a discussion as a group of people and make a decision as a group, a smaller group of people, but they're like, they are each 
concentrated voices of tens of thousands of more people. Right. You know, it's like they're, they're there on, on behalf of, um, it's almost like, why does everybody need to be in the same room still? If all of this is true and like information is just like, so freely and openly available to like go places and go there quickly. I don't know. It's just like probably to like, there's probably a greater exchange of ideas when people are all in person together. That That's there's an like, integrity to be maintained for like sure. Culture happens when people are like in places right. together. Um, so I don't know, maybe it doesn't all come down to business, but I think people don't like being alone either. Also true. Also for true. For the most part. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I just think mostly, I just think it's interesting. It's, it's, um, it, it's, it reminds me if you've ever seen those like little infographics that short sort of show like which was the most popular internet browser starting in like, you know, 1998 and it'll show like at the very top of it was like AOL. AOL. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, okay, like, man, they were like, you know, like the king until like 2000 three when internet explorer came out you can like watch internet explorer like find its way to the top and like now it's super prominent and then like mozilla firefox like finds its way in and it's like boom like now mozilla is the big one and like google chrome right. climbs the ranks or whatever it's like you can watch these like even like um because these are all like you know internet highways you yeah. know it's like at one point in time it's like aol aol like was the the big one it was like the one yeah you know it's like how could that ever change and it's like give it five years and it absolutely changes yeah um and so we, i think we've given the example before about how like the company sears which was super prominent probably more for maybe for our grandparents generation yeah carrying like over that. into our parents a bit um but like in the 60s and 70s sears would have been this like mega Goliath company. Yeah. Um, it, it would be like easily comparable, if not much bigger than Amazon as we know it in the present. Right. And again, I mean like, you know, I think about Amazon and I'm like, it's an unshakable force, you know I mean? It's, it's huge. It's so big. It's so efficient. It's so like, uh, it's everywhere. Yeah. It's, per- it's pervasive. Yeah. And it's like, but fast forward 50 years will it still be <laughs> right like, it's like i'm sure it'll still be around for sure but yeah you're right it's like who who knows because it's like you know what you know, what's if amazon you know if the next thing in like shipping is like drone delivery or something sure you know like just as an example it's like sure maybe amazon can try and get into drones but if some other company just starts and all they do is drones then they don't have to worry about all the existing infrastructure that amazon currently has to worry about they can just focus on just drones exactly and then that you know because of that then they are able to expand faster or something you know how nimble can you be how nimble can you be i mean in the air that sounds like a terrible world where drones are just zipping around everywhere and it, it, it does really loud it does I mean, seem loud yeah i mean but who's to say maybe they'll just be really quiet <laughs> they'll figure that out <laughs> i <Right>. don't know <laughs> right None of that yeah who knows can you imagine that like like right now it would seem like terrible to see drones everywhere but it's like yeah 50 years from now it's just gonna be like man can you imagine someone had to like physically drive manually drive a truck to your house and put it in a box and you had to walk to that box and take the box oh i know yeah. yeah i mean it's it's um it's 
I, like, I almost wonder, yeah, like, okay, so, so again, you like to use the Sears example. It's like they, they're, they were really famous for having a catalog, like the Sears yeah. catalog would like mm-hmm. get delivered on your doorstep. Then you could call like a number or send in like a thing. And then you, that's how you'd purchase your, your, uh, chip and dip. Um, which is what yeah. I always think of the chip from, and dip, the chip and dip from mad men, from mad men. Um, <laughs> he can't return. <laughs> he can't return it. Um, but it makes me wonder if, if there would, would have been like conversations about like, Oh my gosh, can you imagine if you just had to like, if, if like people eventually just carried these Sears catalogs with them in their pocket, wherever they went. And it's like, that's, I mean, it's not the same because a catalog is like a physically large object. Yeah. But like that is what carrying around like the Amazon app on your phone kind of is right. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, I can, I can order dog food while I'm out to dinner and a giant inflatable, <laughs> a giant, what giant inflatable? What? I don't just anything apparently. Oh, oh yeah, that's yeah. true too. Yeah, that's true too. I mean, basically <clears throat> any huge inflatable that you, that you choose, um, which speaking of, I do have a giant inflatable rubber duck at my house that I'm like very eager to pull behind the boat. Wow. At some point in time. That sounds fun. I know we can segue away from this like deep seated. Yeah, I know we've been talking about the future and self-driving cars for like the entire episode. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, <laughs> See, people are going to listen to this podcast and be like, these guys had no idea what they were talking about. (laughs) (laughs) They were so wrong. Do you mean people are going to say that this Friday when this episode comes out? Or do you mean... No, in like 50 years. In 50 years. Or people will definitely still be listening to podcasts. Especially this one. (laughs) Especially this one. Yeah. Especially Especially episode 134 of Popcorn Culture. Right, right, right. Right. No, dude, this has been my... This is... As time has gone on, it has been like one of my favorite things. Here's my pitch to you. Okay. 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 Let's let's assume that thirty years from now we we are not still doing this, right? So we're not making the pop. We're not making the pop. So I'm I'm sixty two. Wow. And you'd be sixty four. Yeah, I guess so. Look at you getting ready to take retirement, boy. Hopefully, I would have taken it before then. I don't know. Pure envy. Pure envy. Okay. Anyway, not the point though. Um. So, but like, let me let me pitch to you a podcast that we start in our sixties. Oh gosh. Which is recapping all of the episodes we recorded oh, of this podcast mm, now. Mm. Really what I've been doing this entire time. It's been it's an elaborate scheme so that years from now you and I can literally be like, okay, our 30 year old selves, let's go back. Let's see how we did. Let's see how episode do, Yeah. Yeah. So so everybody at home would listen to episode one of the pop and then we would have an answer episode that we then record. Yeah, like we talked about this. How did that age? <laughs> How did that age? How are we doing now? And man, we talked a lot about social media back then. I know. And we'll be like, oh man, the audio quality on these was the worst. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or maybe it'll be better. Maybe in the future it'll be like my present washing machine and terrible. Oh man. Yeah. We'll, maybe we'll be recording then and we'll be like, they sure don't make microphones like they, they sure used to. They sure don't make microphones. These floating microphones are the worst. <laughs> floating microphones. <laughs> oh man. It's it's funny that we said sure microphones because that's the actual brand. Oh god, that is that, that is the brand that we have. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyway, so yeah, I was going to transition away though because this past weekend I did take my uh my boat out for the first time. This is my this how many years old is it? It was it was born in 1975. 
Mm, older than me. 25, carry the two. 47 years old. Wow, it's an old boat. It's an old boat. It's an old boat. We'll, have to, have, we'll have to have a 50th fiftieth uh, birthday for it. We should. Right? Wouldn't yes, that be fun? That'd be a fun, that'd be a fun boat party. It would be a fun boat party. Yeah. Maybe maybe at CastleCon we'll we'll run the 50-year-old boat through you the moat. Just, you can come take a ride on the Glastrod. The boat moat. <laughs> the boat moat yes yeah the the boat that's so loud um (laughs) anyway but yeah so i i have a giant inflatable rubber duck that i have been dying to pull behind it Mm -hmm. and so i really need you to volunteer luke to come out and and give it a whirl yeah okay i need i need need someone who's willing to ride the inflatable duck the inflatable duck yeah and then also if by chance you're just at the store and you happen to stumble across like a 14 foot giant inflatable cup (laughs) and or possibly a huge ramp a huge ramp then we could get that duck into that cup because here's what i'm thinking yeah we try we do it <laughs> i mean how i mean we need to be able to land <clears throat> the duck into its rightful place yeah for sure yeah and that duck needs to be airborne for at least a moment and then land inside of what can only be called a cup what can only be called yeah a cup right yeah yeah where do you find such a big cup where do you find such a big cup man i mean i don't know i don't know you, uh, need also, a, you need a big cup. Uh, you would need a really big cup. Are not all man-made lakes just uh, some kind of cup? That's a good point. You know, they're just land cups. They're just land cups. Ter- exactly. Terrain. Terra. Land cups in which real ducks already land because they know where they go. Wow, it's all coming together. Mm-hmm. Would you consider a river a cup? Would you consider a river a cup? You know, like a it's lake. Kind of like a leaky cup. <laughs> Or it's is more that, like a faucet. Maybe the river's a straw. <laughs> the river's a straw? Yeah, that feeds into the cup, which is, is that, the lake. Which is... And or ocean. The ocean is like sucking the straw. It's just like... Yeah. I've always thought as the river is sort of like being propelled by gravity, not being sucked by the ocean. Well, you know, there's two ways to look at everything. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> not sold on this one, huh? <laughs> no, not that one. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Um, where was I going with this, though? Oh, you know, it's actually interesting because one of the other details that I had on here oh. uh, was what truly makes you enjoy a thing. And earlier in this episode, you brought up the sentiment of like the itch scratching. Yeah. What was How did you describe it? I feel like you had a better way to say it. The unscratched itch phenomenon. The unscratched itch phenomenon. Exactly. Okay. So... I've thought a lot about this lately because I had, I was out on the boat with dad this past weekend and there were a couple of things that really stood out to me that I think have fallen into the category of the unscratched itch phenomenon. And that, it's so funny that you answered this question before I asked it. I'm very wise. I know. You are very wise. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know. That was like a Lokiism where I am smart. I I know. Okay. Because Mobius is Loki. Mobius is Loki. <clears throat> anyway, um, yeah. So, like, what truly makes you enjoy a thing? And so, uh, while I'm out on the boat, there were two things that happened. One was that I passed uh, a rock outcrop that basically was like a gr- like a like a cliff that you could jump off of by just simply parking your boat, climbing up the rock, and then jumping off the edge. 
Uh, and as a kid, this is something that we did while we were in Vermont and I absolutely like loved it. Yeah. And I would say that I pretty much heavily sought this activity out as much and as often as I was capable of doing it. Mm -hmm. However, finding rocks that you can jump off of safely into water is not like, you know, it's not like there's like a, like a list, you know? They're not like always like the like the easiest to find. Right, things. yeah. They it's always a bit of a trek just to get to the spot to do it. Exactly. Like you, you kind of have to like <clears throat> know somebody who like grew up somewhere and did the thing so that they're able to to show you. Right. And for us as kids, that's exactly what it was. It was like dad used he had found this rock outcrop when he was a kid by taking the same boat that we now take today. Yeah. Out to do it, and you know, would, would jump off these things and I would love it. Um, and the other one though was in the same place. It was in Vermont, which was water skiing, um, which is basically, you know, just being pulled behind a boat. And both of these activities, when I thought back about them were things that scared the bejesus out of me, Mm -hmm. you know, like I was petrified to do it for the first time. Yeah. Like, I think it took me a good, like 20 minutes to jump off the cliff and it took a lot of like, you know, coaxing and probably dad treading water in the bottom and assuring me that everything would be fine. And then I finally did it. And like the sense of accomplishment was just like so massive that it was like, Oh, I want to do this as much as I possibly can. Yeah. And then was effectively unable to for the rest of forever. But what that did was like instill into me this thing that like now I love to do. And it's like, I couldn't explain it any other way it's like i couldn't really tell you it's like why do you truly enjoy a thing it's like take like your favorite activity and and like truly try to like determine what makes it appeal to you Mm -hmm. and so often all of the things for me are all things that i was extremely scared to do did them and was kind of like surprised I, i like surprised if not shocked that not only did I like it? But like, I was not afraid at all and I loved it. Right. But like, these were all doors that I almost had to like, they were like doors that in my mind were, were previously completely and entirely closed. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't like I, like I grew up and was like, dad, you know what I really want to do? Like, I want to, like, I want to get behind a boat and, and water ski. Right. Like I saw it on TV. Like I want to do it. It was like someone had to get me to do it. Right. Mom had to promise me, no joke, 10 Reese cups just to try it for the first time. Yeah. Which she, she would then purchase me for me from the West Addison general store. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or as we like to call it. Wags. Wags. Yeah. Um, did you know that once upon a time you could buy beef jerky out of just sort of an open glass jar next to the register at Wags? I did remember that. Yeah. That was the best beef jerky. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't even feel like it'd be allowed now it, i know and <laughs> that is probably why it's not there anymore probably and i always go in i'm like i think they're gonna have some of that jerky and they don't and then i try i've tried so many beef jerkies in my life trying to recapture the magic of the loose beef jerky in the open jar next to the register at wags and it just doesn't exist ben Do you i have not been able to find everyone thinks beef jerky somehow like the modern beef jerky for whatever reason, people don't think needs to have any jerk to it. By which I don't mean like Caribbean flavoring. I mean like difficult 
to like jerk away from the rest of itself. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Like it, it, you find it to be like too chewable. Too chewable. Hmm. I want to have to like like. I, to, is that not what the jerky part of the name is that you have to sort of like pull on it to like jerk it away from the meat? I mean, it that's do- what I've always thought. Although it does occur to me now that I like I can picture you, I can picture you in my head eating beef jerky mm-hmm. and I feel like you eat it as if you need to jerk it every single time. Which is say you're like like you take like a very like that's how it should be enjoyed, like, Ben. It's but now I'm realizing that you do this with so much more intent yeah. than I realized. It's because I want it to be that way and it's like you go buy Jack Links, it's the most disappointing thing ever but i haven't found a good beef jerky that like really really lives up to the jerkiness of its name in so, quite so some time what we need is whoever the the meat curer was that that previously exclusively sold loose leaf beef jerky it was like glass, strips it was like strips in a glass container yeah at the checkout counter right yeah, but then but then somebody was like, "Hey, you need to put these in packaging," and they were like, "Afraid not, afraid not, friend. I'll take my business elsewhere," <laughs> which is nowhere, nowhere <laughs> apparently. Jesus, yeah, it's just people. I mean, it's just like it's not beef jerky at all anymore. It's just beef softy. You beef know? softy. No one wants beef softy. That sounds terrible. I feel it really, gross saying it's, it. It does sound I like bet a, everyone listening is cringing. They're like beef softy. It reminds me of of like a fruit smoothie except beef. No, yeah, no, it's, it's not far off. Sadly, from what you're buying at the store when you want your delicious beef jerky. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah. Although I I do find it to be absolutely hilarious that now. I have I have witnessed you eat beef jerky this way for so long and always just thought you were doing it sort of like to be funny. And now I'm curious if like maybe you were actually doing it this way out of like sheer resentment towards all beef softy. <laughs> not sheer, not like, not necessarily. <laughs> we have beef Pure jerky resentment. here right now. Yeah. And I feel like if we walk off of this recording session and go into the, go into like our snack section of the office, I guarantee you, you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably would. I probably would. Well, do you do any things that are like you just sort of do them like hopefully to be funny like that without like drawing attention to it at all? Just like maybe someone will in general notice this as a, like a, I'm just like I can't put my finger on it, but that's sort of like a funny thing. I'd have to think about I'd have it. To think about I'd it. I feel like the way you phrase that made me think like I, I do actually do that a lot though. Like. <laughs> Oh, you mean like like this is something that like I do? No, no, that like that like like you thought I was like pulling on the beef jerky to be funny. It's like I'm not pulling on the beef jerky to be funny, but I'm I like there are plenty of things I'm doing to be funny, whether or not like I'm actively trying to get people to notice them. <laughs> and, uh, I'm not gonna have any examples for you now, but it's like you said that I was like I do that. I know I do that. <laughs> so you're trying to be funny. To like not audience, <laughs> like, yeah, like like to audience. I like if like in my mind, someone will notice it and completely get the joke. But <laughs> so I wonder if like you're just constantly mm. casting this like humor net, and it's like maybe if you pick up on it, all the better because you think it's hilarious. And if you don't pick up on it, then it's just kind of like ah, eh, whatever. Yeah, that's exactly like it. no harm, no foul. Exactly, you're exactly right. Yes, man, I don't know. So the only thing I can think of is that I used to call it a slice of gum, um, which <laughs> yeah. what I think was one of those things that at one point in time I was like, it's not a bad way to describe a stick of gum. Yeah. Arguably a better way. Arguably, to it. certainly somewhere <laughs> in complete darkness, a machine sliced that piece of gum. <laughs> 
<laughs> and we're full circle. We're full circle. We came back. You were absolutely correct. Yeah. So I, I, I do think that that was something that like I, I came up with, started calling it a slice of gum, and it became such a part of my vernacular that I was even trying to remember as I was giving this example, is it not just called a slice of gum? And then I remembered stick. Um, and so I do. Not I think just a piece of gum anymore. A piece of. Yeah, you want a piece of don't, gum? Don't even. I know. Who? If, if you're saying piece of gum, then then please adopt slice today. Slice. I mean, a lot a lot of gum. I don't think people buy in like stick form anymore, though. You know, you always have like one of those plastic tubs of gum. <laughs> you want a, a plastic piece of gum? A plastic tub. But <laughs> but it is. It sounds like you're as upset by the the container that gum comes in as the fact that it's beef softy. I don't I'm not a gum chewer most do you do you chew a lot of gum? I don't chew a lot of gum and I would say I chew even less nowadays because Alice does this thing where she will tear a piece of gum in half and say like hand it to me as if like I want half half a, a slice of gum. <laughs> There's nothing less satisfying to me than half a piece of half a slice of gum. That's exactly I, how like, I feel. May as well throw it half a piece of gum is the most worthless piece of food there could be is is gum even food is gum even food there must be a certain amount of nutrients in the flavor that works its way into your saliva obviously you don't swallow the gum i don't think you could live off gum does gum have nutritional value hard stop it's a real question it's a real question but it might it it falls it must vaguely fall under the food category you put it in your mouth you know what if it's not a f- what if it's not food? It's not food. Does food have to be I think I don't know. Like don't th- know. things are consumable if you try hard enough. Uh, you can swallow the gum. It won't kill you. <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like that's a low bar. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. is it food if you can swallow it and can, it won't kill you? Can I eat this? It won't kill you. Yeah, I, yeah, okay. I don't know. Is gum food? That's not the point. The point is that a single piece of gum, this is the other thing about gum, is that if ever if ever I do have like a jug of gum or a bucket of it or whatever they're selling it in these days, a single piece is never enough. I always need at least two to feel like I actually have something in my mouth to chew on at all. Mm, yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I, so I, a half a piece of gum? No. <laughs> no. I'm afraid not. I think Sorry, it, Ben's wife. It did slow me down on gum chewing. I won't <laughs> lie. Um, anyway, I feel like we got to end it. <clears throat> Yeah, I think we're there. But, but big questions, you know, so everybody let us know. Do you think that gum is food? Uh, you can either just leave it in the comments. You Do can you have a properly jerky piece of beef jerky you can recommend? We will buy it. I yeah, will buy send, it. Send us some beef jerky recommendations. But if it's beef softy, then no. we will have beef with you. We will have beef with you. <sighs> anyway, send all of your thoughts over on over to popcornculturepod at gmail.com. Uh, or if you would just like more popcorn culture action because you're like, wow, what a fun conversation. Um, at patreon.com slash popcorn culture, we have an, an additional segment called After the Final Pop that we record after each week's recording session. It's an extra 15 to 20 minutes of Jay and I talking about something else that we didn't get to in the main episode or reflecting on something we did talk about in the main episode. Uh, it's actually one of the, the tiers that I think <coughs> has just truly, truly Really fantastic value because we have hundred we have over a hundred episodes of After the Final Pop at this point in time, and you have access to all of them. All of them. Uh, even if you just sign up for one single month at that five dollar tier. Again, that's patreon.com slash popcorn culture. Otherwise, guys, until next time. Pop pop.
how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.